Hello and welcome to the Unnamed Automotive Podcast. My name is Sammy Hadge Assad, and with me, as always, is my good friend and fellow automotive journalist, Benjamin Hunting. Say hi to the people, Ben. Greetings, human listeners. Greetings to everyone. If this is the first time you're listening to our podcast, thank you for trying something new. I will reiterate, Ben and I are a pair of automotive journalists, but more importantly, we're very good friends. Isn't that right, Ben? I mean, it's true, but, you know, it's odd that you have to reconfirm that every time we do the podcast. Like, I wonder... Because some people just say friends, like, you know, like Facebook friends, right? Like, sometimes Who Facebook... says that? Be like, who have you, ever, have you ever had someone introduce someone else to you as, this is my Facebook friend, so-and-so? Like, <laughs> no, but they'll say, like, this is my friend, but they're really not friends. They're just, like, Facebook friends. Or one of my friends says X, Y, and Z, and you're like, is he really your friend, or are you guys just connect- connected on Facebook? I don't know, man. That feels like the ultimate power move. Someone's just being like, yeah, you know, they're my online friend, but yeah. I, I don't know if you should have stratifications of friends. I guess that's what I'm saying. All I'm saying is our, our friendship goes well beyond um, Meta and, and Zuckerberg, I like, think. What if I had said no? Would be like, no, that's not true. What, like, does the podcast continue? I guess we'll I mean, never, have to. I guess we we'll never to. find out, but... <laughs> are, have I done something wrong? Have, are you going to remove... Very good friends from our from our bio. Contractually, the podcast has to continue. <laughs> That's true. Whether we're friends, <laughs> whether we're Facebook friends, whether we're Friendster friends. You know, I never used Friendster. I was not into social media. What is Friendster? Stop it. It's like, so I didn't have a Facebook account until, I guess, 2012. I just wasn't into it. And I know that was 10 years ago, but I, I feel like people were in it sooner than that. For, for for the most part. Okay. Uh, but I also didn't really have any of like the the Friendster or the MySpace kind of stuff. Uh, the MySpace, I just, I think it just missed me. I, I didn't have any real position on MySpace at all. But uh, that's not where I was on the internet in the 2000s, as I guess the best way to put it. Did you have a MySpace account? I had a MySpace account, definitely. What, what was it like? Um, it was uh, It was important to us as like whatever we were in high school. To have the right amount of people show up at a certain area of the website, I remember that. Um, we could also—it was also much more customizable. We could have—we could just blast music at visitors of our MySpace page, which, which was cool. And I think there was like um, there were like designs that we could have for MySpace, which made it more like personal. And I think that's really like lacking in today's social media—the ability that, like, to somebody, blast people with music. Yeah, yeah, there should be a button that's like. This is Sammy. Sammy likes this jam. And then you can just press this play button and be like, yeah, Sammy. Sammy's jam. This is it. Sammy, why don't you tell us about some of the jams where you write write stuff? Um, I write um, on the internet, mostly. Okay. At publications such as autotrader.ca, uh, driving.ca, and Nouveau Magazine. What about you, Ben? I think it's interesting that we specify on the internet because we're podcasting, which is an entirely internet-based medium. Like, there's no other way to listen to a podcast that does not involve the internet. Well, I mean, I wonder if there's people who – I mean, there's people who've probably downloaded the podcast without even going on a web browser, right? No, no, like but, you, but you still have – I mean, the very word downloading <laughs> presupposes yes. an internet connection. That's but what you I'm can't, saying. I don't know if you can access my content without being on a web browser. So maybe I should have said you can find my in, my content uh, through your web browser at these publications these, – these addresses, as well as Nouveau Magazine, which is a print publication. There you go. 
There you go. Uh, Where are you, Ben? Where can people find your stuff? Well, it is also primarily in the internet space, I guess you could say, but occasionally it makes it to print in in Car and Driver or Driving Line magazine. Um, But online, you can find me those places as well as Motor Trend and Haggerty and Inside Hook. Now, usually we don't discuss our friendship as in-depth as as what we're doing now, but... Because it's very triggering. (laughs) Yeah, it's true. It's problematic. You mentioned social media. You know, you remember which social media I I remember being a part of that failed miserably? Google Circles? Is that what it was no, called? No, it was or Google called Google Plus? Plus. Google Plus. Google Plus. I remember Google Plus was problematic because it would take the entire contents of your camera roll and make them public on your Google Plus account. It would just upload every photo you took. Beautiful. Don't, what that is great not a great concept. feature. <laughs> You want to be on the internet, eh? Well, here's and then everything. Your, your gram-gram is like, oh, things I didn't know about my grandson. You think my gram-gram was on Google Circles? I think your gram-gram was more technologically with it than you give her credit for. Uh, I think you're mistaken, but we'll talk about that later. Um, so, so the vehicle that I want to start off today's yeah. podcast with, because we do talk about cars on the Unnamed Automotive Podcast, or UAP as maybe we're going to start calling it. Uh, what? It, it is technically... Will we? We're just skating by that. It, it is technically a car that your gram-gram might be into, but it is also technologically advanced to the point where Sammy's gram-gram might have been more into it. Okay. And it is... You better get on with this. <laughs> the all-new, sort of, yes, Lexus RX 500H. Yeah, I know this car. Yeah. I know this car very well. So we've talk- I've driven this car. You've driven the but- RX... You've driven the 500H. Yes. I didn't know that. We should have talked de- about that before. I definitely have driven the 500H, but I'd like to hear your thoughts on it because I'm I'm a bit I'm a bit soft on the on the Lexus RX. Well, we I've had one about, in my family's sorry. in my fam I've had one in my What's going on? I've had one in my family's <laughs> garage for like 15 years and I kind of dig the the whole vibe on the on the Lexus uh, RX line. Have we talked about this on the podcast before? I think so. The 500H I think so. Oh wow! I I feel kind of dumb because I thought that this was the first time. I know we talked about the the regular hybrid, mm-hmm. and we talked about the non hybrid, but I didn't know it was the five hundred H. Uh, no, we we've never talked about it. I just went through our records, and we've never done it on the show before. So this is the okay. So maybe oh, it was the four fifty? Maybe I don't well, know. So it's important that we talk about the differences between these vehicles, Sammy, because the four fifty, which is the plug in, sure I I've driven it. Let me see RX. Yes, keep going. <laughs> I don't know where you're going with this. Um, the 500H is Lexus's, I think, second real attempt to make a sporty crossover, like a sporty SUV version of the RX. So the RX is their by far most popular model. Like it outsells everything else in the showroom. It also is extremely popular comparing it to other luxury or near luxury SUVs and as such they've kind of built up a little brand around it you have all these different RXs now you have the the base model which is totally fine and and, stays true to the roots of where the RX started which was a kind of boring but comfortable and very reliable premium-ish people mover Would, would you say that's accurate Sammy? Yeah, I think that's perfect. I honestly think that this car fills a lot of like it it hits a lot of check check marks, right? Yeah, it's it's the kind of like the default luxury crossover for people who are not necessarily into cars, which is the vast majority of people's. <laughs> our audience is not representative of this market, I think, because I think most of the people who listen to our podcast are obviously are interested in cars. Um, but if you have a family member 
who just wants something that is going to get them from A to B, is going to be comfortable and has decent brand recognition, then the RX is usually what gets what gets selected. It's it's a popular mm-hmm. choice. It's kind of like in that realm where it's just above Buick and Acura, and it's just below Mercedes and BMW, like in terms of prestige. And the pricing kind of reflects that. But over time, they've expanded that. They've included, uh, they've made an F Sport version with the with the normal drivetrain, the, the gas-only drivetrain. They've made hybrid versions, which are very popular because they're pretty frugal. And they've made a plug-in version um, of the hybrid, which gets decent battery-only range, if that's what you're looking for. But going back to that F Sport, Sammy. Yeah. So this new RX 500H, it actually is the RX 500H F Sport Performance or F Sport. Uh, it, that's the full name. And it it tries to go beyond what we had before, which was kind of like a V6-powered RX that had an uncomfortable suspension and really aggressive exterior styling. That's kind of what the old F, F Sport was, I think, for this model. Mm-hmm. I think that's fair. Um, I don't think... People, I think people immediately want the F Sport to be like a performance-oriented model, but it's it's not that. It just no. isn't. It really was a cosplay kind of of performance. So when the 500H came out, which was this year, I, I was intrigued by it because they finally decided to make the hybrid system about generating horsepower more than it was about just saving at the fuel pump. And there's mm-hmm. another company that has done this at a very similar price point to Lexus, and that's Acura with the MDX. They had a, a sport hybrid model for a long time that was actually pretty fun to drive, and it relied on its electric motors to give it a bit of a boost in acceleration. And it was really responsive, I think, is the best way to describe it. Yeah. I don't know about how fun to drive it was, but it, it was, was responsive, and it, it, was, and it felt premium, right? Like, that was the best part about it. I guess more fun would be the better thing to say. More yeah. fun than, than the base model. And I think, I don't know if the current Type S is like that. I don't think the Type S is a hybrid, right? Um, no, I don't think so. I think it's just a turbo. A turbo. And I, I, you know, the Type S is okay, but I kind of feel like the Sport Hybrid was a missed opportunity in the sense that they didn't continue it. It was, mm-hmm. it was something that I liked and it was something unique. So mm-hmm. Lexus is walking in the same footsteps. You remember last month we talked about another vehicle from Toyota, the parent company of Lexus, that try was trying something similar with its hybrid drivetrain, and that was the Crown. So I had a Crown. The Crown, yeah. It had what's what's it called the 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 Max, the hybrid Max, hybrid Max powertrain. Yes, and I think there's another there's a couple of other vehicles that are coming with this powertrain as well. well. The I Tacoma think has the, it, right? I think that's the case, they and have like I a think the Grand Highlander will have it as well. Okay, and I think the t- the Tacoma, the new Tacoma for 2024, is going to have some version of it. Um, but I liked the Hybrid Max. It w- in the in the uh, Toyota in the Crown. It was pretty quick. Fuel mileage was decent, and best of all, it had an actual six-speed automatic transmission instead of a CVT, which is a big improvement over most of what Toyota's hybrids have in terms of shifting feel. Mm-hmm. Um, which makes it feel way more like natural and uh, and like responsive, I think is the best way to describe it. For sure, for sure. Um, yeah, this powertrain, this 2.4 liter turbocharged four-cylinder with the dual power tra- dual electric motors right yeah it has like one on the rear axle i think and one just in i don't know if it's in line with the transmission um but it's, it's a total of 366 horsepower and 406 yeah. pound feet of torque those are pretty good numbers but this is a heavy beast sammy it's 4700 pounds so 
when you really stab the throttle, zero to sixty is like five point nine seconds. Five point nine. Five point nine. It to me sounds fast enough, but I think many people will expect a even an even faster performance vehicle um, for their money. Yeah, I mean, if you look at like an X five, the the X drive forty, which I think is the base model, it's like five five seconds to sixty, so it's right. considerably faster. Uh, there are other crossover SUVs that are sporty that will also leave it in the dust, but <clears throat> it, it's definitely an improvement for the RX and. The thing that I want to stress about this vehicle is that in driving it, it doesn't really stand out in any meaningful way. Like you don't get behind the wheel and instantly feel, wow, this is a vehicle that I really want to drive quickly. This is a vehicle that is kind of egging me on to push it. But it is a, a definite step up over any other RX in the lineup in terms of performance. I mean, I think that's okay. I, I'm very comfortable with the idea that a luxury vehicle can be, even with the F-Sport nameplate, should just be super confident feeling like it needs to feel like you can accomplish any task that you need to do, uh, like, like in terms of acceleration or braking or, or handling, but not that it is super aggressive, which I think can be really, um, distracting and can really, I think in some cases can negatively impact the driving experience. If a car is too sporty, um, or too performance oriented. And I think just having the performance that you need, as you need it, in a responsive way that is confidence-inspiring and natural, that's great. And I think that's an important thing to consider when you're looking at who the typical RX customer is, right? I think that one of the things that made the F-Sport version of the RX fail in the past, and also the the Lexus um, LS, the full-size sedan F-Sport, was a similar failure in this way. It, it was just too rough and tumble. It, it, it kind of felt like you were being mm -hmm. punished with your suspension, but there wasn't really a benefit to go with that. And it didn't drive better. It just drove stiffer. And I, I don't think that's what most customers are looking for, to be honest. Yeah, that's fair. Um, and I think that's an important thing to, to bring about with the RX in general. We, we mentioned that um, it, it attracts a different um, demographic than, like you said, our, our, our listeners might be used to. But that doesn't mean that it's not a good car, right? Yeah, I mean, it's useful. Uh, the thing that really stood out the most to me, so the acceleration is good. And and what's interesting is that Lexus has tuned the speakers in the car to give you a, a performance sound when you accelerate. So it sounds like it's nothing like a four-cylinder engine from the inside, which, which was, you know, as far as these systems go, I guess this was fine. I didn't find it distracting, which is the best I think I can say about that kind of mm -hmm. feature. But what impressed me the most about the RX in 500H form was the interior materials were really nice. It's specifically, there's some great like suede-like door panels and, and dash panels and stuff in this car that feel like they belong in something much more expensive. Um, I was impressed by that. Less cool were the front seats, which were heavily bolstered and made me feel like I needed to lose 30 pounds. And, <laughs> and a lot of the time, luxury cars that have these kind of hyper-bolstered performance-style seats, you can you can let air out of the bolsters and it makes you, I, I guess it brings you your self-esteem up a little bit because you fit better. Yeah. But I, I couldn't do that with the RX. So <laughs> after a while, my body just kind of molded itself into the seat. And I didn't notice it so much. But when I first got in, it was like, my initial impression was not positive of that. I think that's fair. Um, I don't know. You're, I think you're, you're onto something because 
I believe that we've had similar complaints about other Lexus products or Toyota products in the past in terms of like, I don't know, just right. The seats and the materials are really high quality, but like there's a difficulty in feeling comfortable mm-hmm. and that that ain't right. Uh, the other thing that was a little strange about this vehicle was, or not strange, the Lexus side of the vehicle kind of intersected with the performance side in that there's a lot of um, driver assistance technologies inside of this thing. Okay. I couldn't figure out how to turn all of them off, which was problematic for a couple of reasons. The first was I, I took this on a relatively long road trip. And during that road trip, we got a lot of snow. And mm-hmm. the snow eventually ended up blocking sensors on the front of the vehicle, specifically the parking sensors. And I kept getting I'm on the highway. And I keep getting this message saying, parking system disabled, sensors are blocked. And I'm like, okay. And it says, hold this button to dismiss message. So I would do that. And the message gets dismissed. And then that's the worst. 90 oh, so seconds later, it comes back. And this yeah. kept happening, kept happening. I had to go into the infotainment system, find the system itself, like the parking system, and turn that off. Now, if I had been driving at low speeds where it thought maybe I was going to be about to park, I understand that kind of message popping up. I was traveling 75 miles an hour. There's no need for this parking system to even be thinking about anything at this moment. And it kept happening to me again and again. There was another system, though, that I could not figure out how to turn off. And this was the more frustrating one. It's a, a driver attention system. And oh, you love these things. You love it when a car tells you to pay better attention. So I'm driving. on a road trip, which means you're looking at signs and you're looking at things on the side of the road, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. And I would turn my head to like verify a navigation direction or something like that. And then I get a ping on the dash and it's like driver, uh, driver, lack of attention detected. Push here to dismiss this message. And there was no way I could turn that off. A distracting bing on the dashboard. (laughs) Distracting me from my distraction. (laughs) Listen, that Lexus has been around for about, let's say uh, it's been in production and it rolled off the line like six months ago. It's fresh, man. It's just like a teenager, really. It thinks it knows more than you. And it wants to uh, explain to you that it, it can drive. A little bit better than you can. Even if it does... You've been driving for only a couple of years, really, like two decades or something. Even if it does know more than me, I don't want to hear about it. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) But yeah, so those things were, you know, neither here nor there when it came to the systems in the vehicle. No, you have to get used to these kinds of things. And I do agree with you. It should be... Like BMW has this little button with a... Like it's it's a... It looks like a... Uh, like a force shield. View. Like a force yeah, shield. Yeah, a force shield. It looks like it's a little button on the dash that has a picture of the car from the bird's eye view, and it has a little green circle or an orange circle, depending on what features you have. And you press this, and it just brings up the list of all of the um, driver assistance and safety features, and you can toggle them on uh, or off as you need. And I think that's a really great way of. Um, of of dealing with cars that have so many of these features, right? For sure, for sure. Who's the other? I think uh, Honda has one as well. That's kind of like that, uh, just simple button press. I can't remember, but I can see. I think that mo- as we have vehicles with so many of these systems that are complicated and all come with different names as well, um, which sometimes are a little bit too markety speak. Like last time, last week we talked about. Um, a Mercedes that automatically slowed when it saw the change in um, in speed limit. Yes, I don't know what the name for that feature was, but it, it like bothered me and I couldn't figure it out. It's the massive inconvenience feature. That's the name <laughs> it, of it. And it was really like I didn't know if that was called something else. Like I think it it like some of these cars have like names where it's like the speed safety 
you know, adaptive speed safety setting. And safety is always in there somewhere. Right? Safety, active, adaptive. Those are usually the, or assist. Those are like the, th- the yeah. four terms you're going to see in almost every one of these system names. And they just cram them all together and you're trying to figure out while driving how to disable this annoying feature that thinks you're going to crash, but now uh, trying to figure it out is what's going to really cause you to get into an accident. Something else about trying to disable stuff in the Lexus that you were mentioning earlier about how some parts of Toyotas don't feel comfortable or welcoming. Lexus has unfortunately adopted these um, steering wheel controls that they rely on touch sensitive. They're they're kind of they're kind of touch yeah. sensitive. And they're kind of not. And yeah, yeah. Um, there's two things about them that I don't like. The first is when you're using them for say controlling the stereo system, whether it's volume or going to the next track on your playlist or whatever it is. Sometimes you have to push it twice. Yeah, like the to first like bring time, up the context. Yes, and of the context trackpad, and the context comes up in the head-up display, not on the gauge cluster. And then you have to push it again, like if I want to skip, and yep. that's annoying. But then if you if it's still up there, you can push it once. So multiple contexts for a single control are not handled that well. The other thing is, on the dashboard itself, the gauge cluster, it's really hard to figure out how to navigate anything in there most of the functionality is on the infotainment system if you want to do things on the gauge cluster it's not obvious whether you can even do it um it's not a very you think it's the stat the the information on the gauge cluster is just static much of it is static they're relying i think primarily on the head-up display which is fine if you configure and it's a good head-up display too if i remember correctly but i mean i personally don't like to have the head-up this you can all Usually on these cars, you can configure these displays to show you either a ton of information or a minimal amount of information. Mm-hmm. I like the minimal amount because if you put a lot of things on the head-up display, it gets in the way of seeing the road. <laughs> like, I don't need all these navigation instructions plus what I'm listening to, plus like a tachometer if I'm on the highway at 75 miles an hour for five hours. You know, like it's all pretty much information I don't necessarily need. So I have it set to minimal, which means that a lot of the stuff on I'm not able to engage with features in the same way. Like I'm looking at the gauge cluster for occasional information instead of having it constantly projected in front of the hood. But that's just how I personally use the car. So I don't know if I represent the standard Lexus uh, driver. I think um, I think it depends. And I really wish again there should be like an easier way to just like flip through some um, head-up display presets. But if you're on a if you're on a road trip and you're trying to get an, a, a grasp of where you are, you're trying to find like a roadside attraction or something like that. You don't want all that stuff in the way. You just want something that um, just tells you the speed limit and and your speed and that's it, right? Exactly. And so uh, on the on this road trip, um, it was a holiday themed road trip. Went to a Christmas fair in Vermont that was quite fun. And on the way back, we picked up a Christmas tree. And I was able to fit the Christmas tree inside the Lexus without any issue. I It was a smaller tree, about five feet tall, and which is my preference. And I, Yeah. I, what does that mean? Uh, we're not going to explore that. Uh, I, I only had to fold okay. half the seat down in the back to get it to fit, which was nice. Um so this it's it's a practical vehicle. The only annoyance I had when I was loading it was the vehicle has a power tailgate, which is good, but it self-closes after a certain amount of time. And that's something I haven't really run into with a lot of power tailgates, or maybe there was something going on with this particular one, but it would be up for a while and I would be loading stuff into the house and then it would go beep and then close itself. And I, you have to open it again or you have to interrupt it with the button. 
But the weird it thing was... It had a was, proactive... You're saying it had a proactive closing tailgate? And it happened even if I was near it. So, like, one time I was messing around... With oh, and it starts sh- shutting on your head? No, it didn't start shutting. What it did was I was leaning in to, like, mess around with the tree or whatever it is I do. And it started beeping at me. Like, it had <laughs> detected that I was there and it wanted to close... But it knew that it couldn't close because it would decapitate me, but it was angry. It was angry that it couldn't close. And it communicated all of that in a series of three beeps. So what you're saying is you have no idea what – you don't have your beep decoder. Like It was rig. like an R2-D2-like experience yeah. where I had, to, I had to assume a lot of the context. And you were just worried that it was going to try to kill you yeah. with, its, with its thing. But we're not sure yet. So kind of wrapping things up with the RX – it's I've had a, hold on. I've had another vehicle that did that. It was um I think it was a Hyundai vehicle and Hyundai had this feature in which the tailgate will open or the trunk will open if you're just hanging around the trunk of the vehicle. Yeah. Instead of having to swing your foot around with or your key like in the that. pocket, yeah. Yes. And I think it does it the other way. I don't think it does it the other way around, but maybe it does. But I remember just like talking to somebody by the trunk of my vehicle and I just started opening the trunk. Yeah, it's and awkward. Like, oh, what's going on? Are you abducting me? It's I'm awkward because like, no. then they see the then they see the the abductee, right? Like that's yes. the element of surprise is gone. <laughs> I also I also found out that I was doing some research for a story and I found research. out that there's an, there's an, <laughs> shush you. <laughs> There's a new, as you know, they've announced a new Subaru Forester, and apparently Subaru has introduced this kick to open tailgate feature, and apparently it's the first time they've incorporated this feature in Subarus, um, or the Forester in general, which caught me off guard because as far as I understand, my Outback has this bizarre feature that if I just hover my hand, (laughs) you're going to love this, if I just hover my hand outside of the Subaru emblem on my tailgate, it'll open the trunk. Really? Which I don't think is useful, but really funny. <laughs> it's like, true. Like, if you have a hand free, like you're just... saving like what an inch of movement there. <laughs> I think you can use your elbow instead of your hand, but that's even more awkward. <laughs> like if you're carrying boxes. Or your what about your knees? What do your knees do? Can your knees do, can your knees turn the lights on? <laughs> well, you do know that uh, I have several years of martial arts. Although I'm not a gymnast, I think I can keep my my foot up that high. Hey, I've seen you stretch. I mean, I everyone's <laughs> impressed. All those people on that subway platform were impressed. That's why they were moving away a little bit at a time. I want to hear from listeners if they use the hands-free gesture, not the keys or whatever, to, to open their tailgate on a regular basis. And if it took them a while to be, get into like a groove with their car, I definitely because I think use you it. just have to. Pardon? I definitely use it. I think it's cool. The the kicking one? Yeah, the kicking one. Not your weird knee one. But. <laughs> Yeah, um, uh, there's one, I think it's Chevy vehicles, put a little like spotlight where you're supposed to put your foot. Yeah, it doesn't That's always ideal. work. It doesn't That's always work. That's the best one. <laughs> really? Yeah, the spotlight one, one. Is, is a little frustrating. <laughs> and everyone sees that it's not working too, because like a light's shining on your foot. Like it's like, what's that person doing? <laughs> oh, they're failing to open their hatchback. That's what, that's what they're doing. Yeah, okay. And that's true. And then I like it when people are like, are you doing it wrong? And I tell you, what could I There's no other way. (laughs) It needs to be a swift, decisive kick motion. It would be a good practical joke, though, to realign someone's spotlight so that it's shot like in a totally different area. Just put a mirror over there? Yeah, put a mirror and you reflect it. Or there's two and you have to pick one. And if you pick the wrong one, it locks the car and it (laughs) calls OnStar. I think that's fair. I think that's a good idea. OnStar is like, it looks like you don't understand how to open your hatch. 
We're calling all of your closest friends to tell them what a we, failure you are. We sent a video <laughs> yeah, to your exactly. high school bully. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, so this Lexus, it's sixty-two grand as a base, and if you add up options like the one I had, you're probably around $70,000. I mean, that's not a small amount of money. I think that the base model is the second most expensive version of the RX. You can get a plug-in hybrid that's a little bit more expensive that we were talking about before. But uh, yeah, I, I don't think it's outrageous in the base model. I think that I, I like the idea of a of a RX that can back things up with a little bit more power. I think this is a very good drivetrain. I think approaching this as a high-performance vehicle is a mistake. I think you should just kind of look at it as maybe like a mid-trim German SUV would have this kind of power. Like it's... It's it's the replacement for the V6 model, I guess, because they have the, the Turbo 4 as the base now, if, if I'm not yeah. wrong. Um, and, and I like it. I, I just, you know, I think if I was picking an RX, this would probably be the one. I haven't driven the plug-in yet. I'm sure that I would appreciate the extra fuel economy. I get about 25 miles per gallon in this combined um, with a fair That's bit of... That's not great, though. It could be better, it's right? It's rated like, at 30 highway. It should be a 30 mile per gallon kind of car. It is on the highway, but and I did a lot of highway, but it was also cold. So uh, it's winter. That's a problem. See, I'm I'm losing faith here because to me, the old hybrid system was really good at saving gas without trying. And now you've got this turbocharged model that seems definitely more responsive. More responsive, even though it just says it's more than it's like what it's sixty more horsepower than the old just standard yeah, V six power. But it's, model. it's a lot more torque. It's four hundred pound feet, right? That's that's a big improvement. Four hundred. They need to. They need to improve the balance between fuel efficiency and and performance uh, here. I don't know because I think that if you're buying this one, it's because you want the performance. I think it's if you want the fuel economy, there are like two other versions of the RX you can buy. So I like the idea of choice. I like being presented with that option. And it's not bad fuel economy. It's just not amazing fuel economy. Uh, I'm not into it. I don't I don't I think that's my biggest issue is that in the past um in the past, the the Lexus was the best of all worlds. Which is to say, it was really high end. It was great on gas. It was responsive. It was spacious. Uh, it was high tech. But you and still have now, all of that. You can just no, choose something else. Really like that. Lose... I don't know. It's still there. It's just like they're not forcing you to buy the RX five hundred, Sammy. Just say. But if you want the best performance, you're now suffering way more in terms of in terms of fuel efficiency. But if you wanted the best performance in the previous generation, you had to get the not so frugal V six. No, I think the hybrid in the past was better. It just had a dumpy CVT. Uh, I don't know. I don't think the overall experience of driving it was better. Maybe you might. Maybe. I can't go back and drive it now, Ben. No, I mean, it's not like you've spent years driving all these vehicles and have copious yeah. notes you could draw from. I mean, it's not like it's not like you're this notes. Come on, like, man. You know, I I reformat my PC. All of the notes I have on it every every year. It's like the concept of Sammy Hajisad is the sum total of all of his lived experiences. That's very true, I guess. Um, I don't know. This is this is my big issue, and the other issue I think I have is pr- pricing might be a bit uh, difficult, especially if you believe that German cars are a little bit are as are as premium. Because I think we've said before the X5 is among the best in this kind of uh, class of vehicle, sure. and the RX I think plays in that price point, and you really have to make a decision between um, if you like the Lexus, I guess reliability uh, or perceived reliability. 
um, compared to the performance and premiumness of a BMW. I guess, but I mean, price-wise, if you want to get a all-wheel drive base model X5, it is $4,000 more than the 500H. Okay, maybe I don't know what my pricing is anymore. Really? So, yeah, it's 67.5. You can get a rear-wheel drive for 65, and that is still more expensive than the the RX 500. And then, you, as with as we all know with BMW, you got to add options. If yeah, you, you got to add a ton so. of options. Maybe yeah, I must have been mistaken. Oh, okay, I understand. Uh, so I was looking at the <laughs> I was looking at the plug-in hybrid pricing, of course, oh, okay. because I'm nuts. Yeah, the electrified one, um, the the plug-in hybrid BMW is 72 grand. Yeah. Which is like the very that would be the that would be a fully loaded RX 500h. There, there's an RX plug-in that starts at seventy, so yes. you're just two thousand dollars off there. Yeah, but um, but there's a fair there's a fairly dis- decent gap between okay. the RX and the BMW. I think I think enough of a gap for Lexus to make a business case for this model. Okay, I think that's fair. Sorry, I don't mean to. I didn't mean to complain that much about the pricing because I guess I'm a fanboy for the. Um, What's it called there? BMW X5. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so moving on, um, it's December, and uh, that means our thoughts are turning towards dreary winter, but also looking back on all of the things we did or didn't do or things we regret doing or things we regret not doing yep. in the year. And um, Sammy and I were talking about this before the show, before we started recording. This was not a great year for cars. <laughs> Huh. Yeah, there were, I mean, I think usually we do like a, a list of like our favorite cars we drove this year. Um, I honestly think we should just do like highlights and lowlights because I think there's way more lowlights this year um, than highlights usually, right? Well, I mean, there were significant cars that I drove this year or vehicles that I liked, but nothing really jumped out at me as being completely amazing. I, I would say if I was to pick maybe the most in terms of a driving experience, mm-hmm. um, the two cars that I think made the biggest impression were the BMW M2, mm-hmm. which is redesigned for this year, and it got bigger and heavier and looks kind of wonky to some people. I don't mind it as much, but it drives really well. It's probably the best driving M car you could buy right now. Right. Uh, and that was a highlight for me. And then kind of at the other end of the spectrum was the Corolla, the GR Corolla from Toyota, which is you know considerably cheaper but it's a hot hatch in the vein of my I- I- eternal heartthrob the veloster n which is, means <laughs> eternal heartthrob yeah it's ben, a... go and buy one are these things really that difficult to find these days well i, I don't t- traditionally buy front wheel drive cars i uh, know i do enjoy driving the veloster n though but the the gr corolla was similar in terms of its personality like it has like a buzzsaw three-cylinder turbo it has all-wheel drive, and it has really not that many digital kind of doodads and layers between the driver and the road. And I, I enjoyed that about it, because if you're looking at all-wheel drive hot hatches, you're looking at stuff like the um, Golf R, which is an aseptic experience that kind of just sterilizes a lot of road feel in favor of all-out numbers in a straight line. So It is the nerdiest car I've been in, and it has been so it was so frustrating to drive it because you have to dial in these settings and figure out exactly. Yeah. It felt like the, like my, my, it felt like my dream car was somewhere among these settings. And I You're never going to find it. Exactly. Good luck. It it's like, like Wizard of Oz. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, it felt like it had so much potential, that Golf R. Yeah. But anyway, so I do appreciate the fact that it seems like this, this, GR Corolla, Corolla GR, GR Corolla, GR Corolla has 
the setup from the get-go, right? Yeah, and it's also, you know, it's noisy and kind of bumpy, and it, it reminds you that you're driving. And <laughs> that's something, it sounds silly to say, but is increasingly absent from modern vehicles. So the, those, yeah. I think, were the two driving experiences, all out, like, in terms of all out enthusiast experiences that I enjoyed. Um, I'll, I'll, um, say that the ones that I really enjoyed, um, I think are very niche vehicles. I really loved driving the Lamborghini Storado, the, which is the off-road oriented version of the Huracan. Storado! Has its own audio cue on the podcast. (laughs) Um, this is a car that I think, um reminded me of some of the wackiness and joy that can be found in the in the automotive industry when people like look outside of the usual um path for for it i mean, I mean what could be wackier is- than going off-road in a vehicle with almost no ground clearance that costs two hundred fifty thousand dollars? <laughs> exactly <laughs> i mean they they threw off-road tires and suspension and um and 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 put some subaru-esque uh Fender flare Pontiac Montana a- <laughs> style cladding. <laughs> yes. On a on a supercar and then we got to play with it and I think that's some of the coolest um that's one of the coolest experiences I've ever had. And then on the other end of the spectrum, I uh, I was really pleasantly surprised with the Rolls-Royce um Spectre because it showed me that there are certain concepts in an electric vehicle that haven't been hadn't been perfected until that point. Just because people were focusing on either outright performance or range, and when you when you just focus on the premium aspect of a of a vehicle, which is to say it needs to be quiet, comfortable, and and just lovely, the the Spectre seems to be capable of doing that. I, I was really caught off guard by just how you know there are two different vehicles that that change the perception on what can be done. On the other hand, of course, that means they were super expensive. These are exclusive opportunities for people. Um, and I'm not sure everyone will get to, to, to enjoy those, but it's very unique. I'll tell you that. I, I also liked the uh, hunt. Speaking of electric vehicles, I liked mm-hmm. the Hyundai Ioniq six. I thought that that yeah. it drives very well. It has all the range you'll need. It charges fast and it also looks completely wild. Uh, it's the only Hyundai that you're probably going to have people mistaking for a Porsche. It's yep. it's an unusual and it, what I like about the vehicle is it shows that I mean we were talking last week about the um EQE yep from Mercedes-Benz and how visually anonymous it is and then you have Hyundai which is making electric vehicles with more range similar power and just wild visuals and it shows that you can do that you can make a very interesting EV without having to compromise on practicalities and in a similar vein I also liked the BMW i7 which is a very high-end electric vehicle mm-hmm. that looks like someone like it's kind of like a rolling bank vault that someone plopped down in the present from a, like a futuristic urban tableau, like maybe Judge Dredd or something like that. And it just has this crazy road presence. It, it's quite polarizing, but inside it's it's opulent, uh, it's comfortable. Uh, I used the one that I drove to ride out an ice storm that killed power to my house, so that was pretty sweet. Uh, it definitely made an impression. Um, and I look at the i7 and, you know, the, the the Hyundai as well, but the i7 and then I compare it to something like the Mercedes EQS and I just don't understand that huge drop off in visual visual style between those uh, vehicles. I want to agree with you in terms of surprise of the year. The i6, the Ionic 6 caught me off guard. I thought this was just going to be a sedan version of the Ionic 5, which was very popular, but for whatever reason, it felt a tiny bit different and it it 
it also brought joy because people saw this this funky looking sedan on the road that looks nothing like uh, anything else and it was also a very confident um you know all uh, electric vehicle it it had the range and the performance that you needed as well as the space i think i mentioned i i I put a bookshelf in there. Yeah, that's pretty and wild. I mean, this is like essentially a sedan. Right. <laughs> <You know? Yeah. laughs> um, I but why don't we talk about low lights? Do you have any low lights this year? Well, I have one last highlight that I want to oh, okay. And it's also an electric vehicle. It's the Genesis Electrified GV70, which is a terrible sure. name, but it's a great proof of concept. Uh, I think that both BMW and Genesis over the last two years have proven that you can take a gas-powered car and electrify it and have it be pretty great. And the, the GV70 is maybe a couple dozen miles of range away from being a real contender with in terms of um, dedicated battery platforms, but it's gorgeous inside and out, and it preserves a lot of the fun associated with the GV70 gas model, and uh, it does all of that for a fairly reasonable price. So I, I just, it's very impressive that they're able to, you know, make like like BMW does with the i4, just make a, a really great electric car out of a gas model. Um, I want to add one more like surprise of the year, surprises of the year that I enjoyed. Um, small pickups. I love small pickups now. Um, Honda, what was it called? The Honda Ridgeline really made me, you know, it it got the best out of my moving experience. I really that's not a got small a, pickup though. I mean, that's fine, a midsize. And then of course the Maverick as well. Um, super easy to move around with. And, and maneuverable and super affordable. I just, there's, small trucks are great. But what know. about low lights? I, I'm going to say I've had, I had low lights, low lights and, and no love for the Toyota, Tacoma, the Toyota Tundra that I drove, which was the SR5 model and uh, felt really Spartan and cumbersome and awful on gas and not very practical. And I just didn't love it. It, it. While I was going through one of the most, you know, stressful parts of my life moving, it didn't seem like it was a part. It wanted to make that experience any easier. Uh, low lights. Shout out to the um, two thousand question mark E four fifty U haul van that I drove a couple weeks ago. Also <laughs> while moving, uh, it had sixty six thousand miles on it. Might as well have been two hundred and sixty six thousand miles. But no, you know, I didn't die while driving it, which I think is always a good thing Positive, when you're talking yeah. about a U-Haul truck. But the thing about the interior, it might as well have been etched out of a single hunk of plastic. And the mirrors, like you couldn't really adjust them from the driver's seat or from the outside. And so I had limited visibility on either side of this giant vehicle, which they will rent to absolutely anyone. This is a 24 five foot truck you mm-hmm. do not need a special license to drive that you just have to show up they pull the mirror up in front of your face if you can fog the mirror with your breath they will hand you the keys to this truck for like 19 dollars <laughs> a day so yeah if you're on the highway near one of these u-haul trucks just like pass it very quickly or perhaps find an alternate route that's fair um what about a new car though that really Caught you off guard, like just wasn't what you were expecting. I can't think of anything. You know, I love everything, Sammy. Okay, I'm going to tell you. I drove this. um, This is going to come across, I think, is really weird because I think some some publications have put this as one of their favorite vehicles of the year. But I was caught. I was actually really unimpressed with the Toyota Grand Highlander. I thought that they could come into a segment where some of the competition has been really delivering, over delivering, and and has been a successful, I'm talking specifically about the Korean, the Palisade and the Telluride. 
the, the Korean twins, I thought that Toyota could look at that and say, well, we can do them better. And they didn't. They just made a bigger Highlander. It was it was boring, man. It feels it doesn't even feel like a Highlander. It feels like a RAV4. And I just didn't love it. There was just like... Well, I'm picking one up Monday. It, they phoned it in, in my opinion, I think. <laughs> I'm picking one up Monday, so I'm curious to see how I feel about it. They oh. really just like put in the bare minimum effort, and I don't know if uh, if I love that Speaking that of approach. bare minimum efforts, uh, the Toyota BZ4X. <laughs> yes, and that was my... So, <laughs> yeah, go for it. This is just a an electric car that exists because they had to make an electric car, and they didn't really want to make an electric car, but here you go. Um it's a car that is, I guess, fine for a certain limited buyer, but it's odd in that it's not really competitive with bare bones electric cars that have been out for a long time. It's really at the low end of average in pretty much every area, and it's frustrating because you know Toyota could do a better job. They just chose not to. I took it on a pretty long road trip. I was able to do that. I didn't have a problem, but... It wasn't a very joyful experience, and I can think of pretty much any other electric vehicle that I would rather have been driving. You think that was uh, an effort that showed that Toyota could do more. I'm going to one-up you with the Lexus RZ, which is (laughs) essentially the Lexus version of that platform. Um, Another vehicle that you really hope that Toyota could do a little bit more with with the price point and and technology that they're gunning for, and the best they can show off show for it is this steer by wire yoke system, which was totally weird and uh, and seemingly unnecessary. So I have now we're I'm, I guess we're not going to get any more Toyota Lexus products. I guess. Well, I, I I don't know. I just had a pretty positive review of the, so, yeah. the 500h, and then you torpedoed our entire enterprise there. <laughs> That's true. But I, I I have a couple couple more low lights. I guess um, the Mazda CX90 is a low light for me because I really like how it looks and I was excited to drive it, but the experience is average and um, it has good power, but not good performance. And uh, it just didn't really feel like a fully executed package to me. It has great fuel mileage compared to everything else in its, in its segment. So that was great. And like I said, the styling is nice, but I do feel like that is a vehicle that they maybe should have waited a year and really got the bugs out. Uh, and the there was one more that I wanted to bring up, Sammy. Oh, the okay. the WRX. So you didn't like the WRX. I drove it with the CVT. Oh right, okay. And I don't think anyone should buy the CVT model. <laughs> I feel like it's not the strong point of that car. I feel like trying to turn the WRX into a mini GT doesn't really work. I think it needs to have the manual in order to be fun. Um, yeah, that's, yeah. I think that's, I'm not, I'm not saying it's a bad car. I just think it's not the best version of that car. I agree. Um, I actually found the, the, the manual model to be like surprisingly playful, um, weird because it's, it, it looks bigger and it feels a little bit bigger, but it's still fun to drive. So it's, I, I really wish you had the manual as well to compare those that, that with. Maybe one day. One day. Who knows? Anything else you want to talk about this year? No, I think this year. I mean, we have a couple about more. this year. <laughs> we have a couple more podcasts left. In fact, next week we have um, friend of the show Chad Kirshner coming back to talk to us about the Blazer EV that, that he drove. So I'm excited. This is finally out. I, I think know. it won an award somehow without <laughs> no anybody driving it. it. No one's driven it, but it's winning <laughs> awards. Yeah. So I'm I'm excited to hear about it because I'm. It's this is this is an unusually this this car's had a long genesis. Let's just say. 
Um, so it's it's nice to see that it's finally in the world. Um, is this the front wheel drive, all wheel drive, or rear wheel drive model of the car? Did they dump the rear wheel drive? Did they dump the front wheel drive version of the car? I think they did dump the front wheel okay, drive. Okay, great. They realized that it made no sense whatsoever. <laughs> wow, an automaker realized it. Yeah. Um, or or perhaps their production capacity realized it for them. I mean, Perfect. it's hard to say. But uh, I will be talking about the another vehicle that I was really curious about because of all the hype that other journalists were putting on it. And that's the Buick, <laughs> the Buick Invista, Sammy. The Invista. What is that simply Invista their way into my heart? So we'll see how this works. I can't believe they're still going with this nomenclature, the EN naming scheme yeah they're gonna run out oh i mean i if they keep making up words like invista they'll never run out right like it's like just <laughs> the the end lobe will be there and the and the end royally or something like that i'm gonna stop making up n words because i kind of feel like i'm gonna say something buick's gonna trademark it and then they're gonna sue me yeah that's that sounds fair um next week i'll be driving the uh, mercedes gle plug-in hybrid um, although I don't think we we need to talk about it next week in particular, we okay. We can push well, it off. that's a bit of a tease, but <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, if you want to tease us, um, you can reach out in a number of ways. You can find me on social media at on Instagram. I am at Hunting Benjamin. You can, I guess, find Sammy on X or Twitter or whatever it's called now. Uh, he's at Sammy underscore Holic. You're laughing. You can alternatively email me the old fashioned way, Benjamin at BenjaminHunting.com or go to unnamedautomotivepodcast.com. There is a contact form there. Fill it out, click submit, and it goes to our inbox. While you're at our website, um, unnamedautomotivepodcast.com, you can also subscribe to our podcast or see all of our previous episodes, um, including links to some of the stories that we've written about the cars that we were talking about. If you wanted to just read instead of hear our voice, you know? And uh, if you like us, subscribe to us or tell your friends about us. That is the best way to get the word out about Unnamed Automotive Podcast. I also want to thank every one of you who donated to Jason Torchinsky's GoFundMe. Uh, he, it has raised a bunch of, of money that he's going to be able to use to pay off the extremely unpredictable um, health condition and medical costs that came with it last week and also help out his family as he's not really able to work right now. So we're hoping, I mean, uh, he's, he's doing better and he's starting to post online and it's really great to hear his voice and to see that he's doing well and hope that he'll be back in our community soon. That is, that's huge. I'm really glad that we've got a great community of people out there, uh, helping us all look after one another. Yeah, it's important. Um, anyway, thanks everyone for, for watch for listening and we'll catch you next week. All right. Bye-bye. Bye.